Welcome to the Council 4 Unplugged podcast. I'm Larry Dorman of Council 4 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees Union. We proudly represent more than 30,000 workers in the public and private sectors across Connecticut. And we have a very special show today. Uh, With me is our Executive Director, Sal Luciano. Uh, Sal has been an Executive Director for many years here, and he is retiring uh, on May 11th. He will have retired, actually, when this program airs. And we thought it would be appropriate and fitting to have a discussion with Sal about what he's experienced in his time leading our union and what challenges uh, lie ahead for the labor movement. So without further ado, I want to thank Sal and welcome him to the show. Thank you, Larry. Sal, uh, how many years have you served as executive director? I came on board June 1st, 2001, so almost 17 years. And uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, What actually were you doing? Uh, What was your work, and how did you get involved with the labor movement? I uh, worked for the state of Connecticut on August 22nd, 1980, and uh, as a child abuse investigator for department, at that time it was called DCYS, the, the Department of uh, Children and Youth Services. Uh, they later changed the name to DCF. And um, I, I recognized quickly that the workers were overwhelmed. They had hundreds of cases. I tried to be involved in the union, mostly to gain power for myself and co-workers so that they can get reduced caseloads and so that we can treat our most uh, vulnerable children in a more appropriate fashion than we were. And what did your job entail? Um, I mostly did child abuse investigation. And I imagine uh, that was a, a challenging job and, and, and one that uh, you saw a lot of heartache. It was a challenging job, and uh, you had to maintain control in the daytime, and sometimes you'd fall apart at night with what you witnessed some children going through. But again, public service, and I think that you felt, obviously, you felt a calling to, to public service. This is what got you involved with social work and with trying to protect children. Yes, and, and our failure to do so because our caseload was too high was what got me involved in the union and um, allowed us to have a say. We, we helped sue the state of Connecticut um, through the consent decree because we knew that the children we were caring for uh, were being abused under our own responsibilities. Uh, we just couldn't handle the caseloads. And explain what the consent decree was and is and what it means. Uh, the, the consent in 1989, the, the courts decided that children were abused um, by the very agency that was supposed to take care of them. And um, they put into laws certain uh, limits on caseload size, which um, helped enable social workers to better able to protect and serve uh, the children and their families. Tell me, Sal, then, from your perspective as a social worker, somebody who's a trained social worker, um, why was it important to be involved in the union? I saw the union reduce caseloads and provide resources to vulnerable children that didn't have any kind of political clout to get it uh, to be able to get it done themselves. And what made you ultimately decide to to leave your job with the state and and uh, take the risk of, of, of running for executive director and then serving almost 20 years uh, as the head of a, a very diverse and, and, and large union. I, I wish I could say it was planned. 
it wasn't just there just some times in your life where you have to step up and this was uh, a situation uh, where that happened um, the time that I did step up uh, Waterbury had just undergone the 2001 oversight board where um, one city in the state of Connecticut was treated as if they were in the deep south with no collective bargaining rights and um, that that was really kind of one of the first crises you you, you walked into <laughs> yes it was and um, you know we worked hard I mean the the theory now is somehow the oversight board fixed Waterbury that just wasn't true you know the oversight board was real kabuki theater for a reevaluation that the city hadn't had in 26 years. And uh, it showed the corruption of the city. They had not only not contributed towards the employees' pension plan, but they stole the 10% that the city of Waterbury employees put into that pension plan. Uh, you came aboard at some very interesting times, uh, the Waterbury uh, municipal crisis, and also uh, right into the teeth or the maw of, uh, of our most corrupt governor ever, John Rowland. And uh, not long after you became executive director, I know that you uh, were also facing the fact that uh, Rowland was um, pushing uh, for layoffs, uh, pushing for massive cuts to services. Um, and really mistreating and disrespecting uh, people who carried out the, the mission of the, of the state of Connecticut. Yeah, just as one example, there was a situation where the governor first, first laid off people and then did an early retirement incentive program, in, in, in essence making it twice as miserable as it needed to be. If he had just done the early retirement incentive program, uh, people who wanted to retire would have been able to retire Instead, there were layoffs and, and dislocations and people who lost um, homes and, and medicine uh, for their children. And um, it, it was a really horrendous situation. And then when the ERIP happened afterwards and many of those people relanded jobs, he, he didn't have to do it that way, but that was it was done in a way to inflict a maximum amount of pain. ERIP being an early retirement in incentive um program. And, and Sal, you were also um, one of the moving forces behind a uh, historic lawsuit that actually uh, was brought by our state union coalition uh, against the governor and uh, the former budget director, Mark Ryan, uh, which eventually uh, was proven in court to have been a case of the, of the governor um, targeting, singling out, scapegoating, whatever word you want to use, state employees for layoff. And uh, it, it took 10 years or so, but uh, we, we had a successful outcome, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so he had just been elected, and uh, I guess it was payback time for not endorsing him. He had um, falsely um, stated that he would honor all arbitrations when he became governor, and one of the first things that he did in, in 1997 was to shoot down a corrections arbitrated award. Um, so he was forsworn and and shown for who he was in terms of his adversity uh, to labor. Exactly, and that's what prompted a, a lawsuit that, again, um, what was found that what uh, Governor Rowland, who ended up, of course, going to jail on uh, his various corruption charges, uh, had acted illegally and had actually violated the First Amendment rights of, of um, state public service workers. You presided. Uh, during a time when there have been constant, unrelenting legislative and judicial attacks on the labor movement? 
I've I've uh, been honored to um, lead a team of people and activists that really care about working people. Unions are one of the few organizations that try to not only look after their own members, but for all working people. And and really, um, I, I leave uh, my colleagues who who you know wake up every morning and maybe without knowing it are heroes uh, from the point of view that they fight for working people when the the wealth discrepancy has never been greater and where more money just continues to go to those who are already comfortable. And you see that on the national level with a billion and a half in tax cuts. Billions of dollars more will go to Warren Buffett who doesn't want it or doesn't need it. But while we have people who work 40, 50, 60 hours a week and still struggle to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head. So um, it's an important fight. This year we celebrated or honored, I don't know if celebrate is actually the right word, but certainly we, we honored and paid tribute um, to, to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was assassinated 50 years ago this year in Memphis. Yeah, Dr. King, um, was he was there willingly trying to help the sanitation workers. He believed there was dignity in, in all work, and he thought it was uh, n not just immoral, but a crime that in the richest country in the world that people could work 50, 60 hours a week and still suffer and still have difficulty putting food on the table, clothing themselves, keeping a roof over their heads. And um, he, he, we're reminded that not a lot has changed. Martin Luther King was, was uh, a champion for racial justice, but he was a champion for economic justice. Uh, there is now a Supreme Court case called Janus versus AFSCME, Council 31, that would nationalize right to work. So perhaps you can talk about that case, what right to work is, because it's a, a deceptive term, and, and why it's really damaging to, to all workers. First, um, right to work is a deceptive name. The, the idea behind it is that um, people who enjoy the negotiations and the services of a union in certain states would not have to pay anything for those services. Um, most people call th that kind of free riding stealing. Um, state by state, uh, they've gone to these right to work type laws. It's happened in Wisconsin, it happened in Michigan. Um, some states have pretty much always had it. And so uh, it's everywhere that there is a right to work, Workers earn less money, their benefits are worse, their pensions are weaker, um, and not happy enough trying to do this state by state. They're trying to do this in one swell foop through the Supreme Court. And we anticipate that they will make that uh, ruling. It was four to four because Justice Scalia died, we believe, with the new appointment that it will be a five to four vote and uh, sometime in uh, June uh, or early July that this country will be right to work. One journalist referred to it as an effort to defund and defang unions and I guess you'd agree with that. I would, um, though I, I will say that um, right to work is not going to end unions. The Koch brothers can't take your union away. Right. Only union members can take their union uh, either away or make it stronger. And so we're having conversations with members so that the members understand that the people behind uh, the attempt to 
get you not to pay dues isn't doing it so that you can have a few extra dollars in your pocket. They're doing it so that they can weaken unions to make it harder to bargain collectively at the bargaining table and make it uh, impossible to argue and to negotiate effectively at the bargaining table. So when we talk to our members, they understand, they get it. Uh, we'll do fine uh, even uh, under right to work type laws as long as we stick together and uh, make sure that we don't allow other things to happen um, like has happened in Iowa with changes in laws uh, against collective bargaining, against their ability to bargain for pension and health care, seniority, vacation time, anything. And um, that's why you say, I guess, that you're, you're not worried about right nationalization of right to work. Um, the unions just have to keep continue to, to advocate. Yeah, they just need to do what they do best, which is provide a voice at work, um, keep help keep members safe, uh, help and help do the best possible job for the public. What's your crystal ball say about the future and the vitality of the labor movement? I say that um, our future is wide open, and it depends all on us as uh, as leaders and as activists and as individuals. Um, there is a big push uh, for the wealthy just to accumulate everything. And um, we need to work hard to make sure that um, we continue to fight for working people. What we really need to remember is that, um, as Senator Paul Wellstone said uh, many times, I really feel like I'm the fortunate one. Um, it has been an honor and a pleasure to, to uh, take a few minutes to uh, reflect with Sal Luciano. He is the outgoing executive director of Council 4, but the fight continues. Uh, we are fully prepared for it, as Sal said. So I want to thank you for listening to Council 4 Unplugged. Don't forget to follow us on our website at council4.org, on Facebook at Council 4 AFSME, and Twitter at AFSMECT4. And we'll see you soon on our next Council 4 Unplugged podcast. Thanks so much for listening.